Welcome to Radio Finance, the podcast that helps you understand the transformative developments taking place in the world today. Good afternoon, ladies and, and gentlemen. A very warm welcome to the Excellence in Retail Financial Services Annual Meeting 2021. Wilson and I are very happy to be your host for this event. This year, Excellence event is very special in that we are marking our 20th anniversary. We have been benchmarking and trailblazing the best in the world of retail financial services for the last 20 years. Now, this is the second year that we are holding this event virtually. This is the second year of the pandemic uh, that has caused so much disruption to lives and livelihoods. Uh, for the industry, it has disrupted your operation. It has also accelerated in many ways uh, the way that you work. Uh, accelerated uh, the digital transformation uh, agenda that you have. Uh, and uh, also, especially in the area of e-commerce, is that actually uh, brought the 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 world of uh, e-commerce and e-payments to life. A lot of disruption happening in that space. Uh, at the same time, governments are uh, doing a lot to help the population, workers, and SMT uh, with their quantitative easing uh, measures. And, and that has impacted the, you know, the interest rate and the operating environment so with um, margin compression or interest rate compression and so on and so forth. But on the positive side, it has also contributed to an exuberance in the capital market. Uh, and uh, many of you have pivoted your business, have benefited uh, in the wealth pension uh, uh, business, and, and we are seeing positive impact in that uh, there are the rise of the capital market as well as the rise of new asset classes. Now, uh, and as we enter into year two of COVID, um, there are challenges that you are facing, and, and these are some of the things that we'll be looking to uh, discuss during our age of retail meeting later. And now, a very warm, a very warm welcome and shout out to our international council of advisors, starting with Wilson here. Wilson has many years of experience in the industry uh, in commercial retail and uh, SME banking. More recently, he's been involved in. Uh, getting uh, licensing for some of the digital uh, players in Singapore. And, uh, and uh, our advisors make this program possible that we have done this for the last 20 years. Thank you, Bupik. Uh, good afternoon, uh, ladies and gentlemen. It's my pleasure to co-host with Bupik uh, this annual awards event. Uh, it has been more than a year since the pandemic struck and created unprecedented global challenges. Uh, we hope you and your families are continuing to keep safe through these extraordinary times. Amid the disruption caused by the pandemic, the financial services industry in Asia-Pacific has proven to be resilient and strong. Uh, this is a strong testament of measures, as mentioned by Bunping, uh, taken by the respected governments, businesses, and people across the region to navigate the way balancing between health, safety, and economic well-being, uh, in particular, the well-being of uh, small SMEs that have been hard hit uh, uh, in recent times. Efforts in accelerating the digitization of key economic sectors have also facilitated commerce and life to continue as normal as possible. This year, uh, as part of our excellence program, we have over 280 banks and non-bank uh, non retail financial services players um, buying for uh, over 61 awards in five categories across 24 markets across Asia. And since last year, we have also invested in our digital consumer feedback channel, bankquality.com, to survey customers on their engagement, experience, and satisfaction with their main retail banks and how you have helped uh, them during the pandemic. In essence, this year's award results and rankings are influenced very much by the voice of the customers. We have also collated substantial benchmarking data on the operations and performance of the industry in the course of the program. The industry is going through a deeply transformational time. We have seen how COVID-19 has disrupted lives and livelihood, transform how you are doing business, accelerated your digital transformation, especially in the area of remote transaction and e-commerce, and, and, 
at the same time has brought about business challenges. As I mentioned earlier, historical low interest rate, strong government quantitative easing, which are not all bad because uh, some of that has uh, fueled uh, exuberance in the market um, and has caused a rise in, in performance of the capital and financial market and the emerging emergence of uh, new asset classes uh, in the crypto, uh, in the digital assets area. Many of your wealth management uh, business has picked up as a result. In the course of the pandemic, some leading institutions in the Asia Pacific have reimagined their costs, their operating functions beyond just ambitious cost management programs and risk management measures. The pandemic has been a catalyst for the transformative, transformative changes to operating models, which have been embedded into new ways of working, making the bank more intelligent-based institution. And as part of the annual heads of retail dialogue later, we will discuss the challenges that leaders face in achieving sustainable growth post-pandemic and how to compete, deliver customer experience, manage workforce and security given the challenges in the pandemic environment. Okay, at this point, I'm happy to introduce the chairman of the Asian banker, Mr. Emmanuel Daniel to say a few words to welcome our heads of media and our uh, guests for the awards ceremony. Greetings from uh, Beijing, China. I've been uh, living in China since uh, November last year, um, and I thought I'd, I'd actually show you uh, the view of the east side of the city from, uh, from where I live. Uh, it's very beautiful, um, and uh, I've, uh, be I've been able to learn a lot more about China than uh, during the years uh, that I've been uh, traveling to China uh, every month uh, where we have an office uh, and we have a very lively business um, uh, and, and we are very much a part of uh, all the transformation uh, that, is, uh, that this country is going through. Uh, and the one interesting thing about China, to be in China, uh, is to uh, experience firsthand uh, the huge dichotomy uh, between uh, what all of us uh, learn about China from the international media uh, and, uh, and what we experience if we were to be living in China. Uh, the first thing I'd like to point out to you is what a beautiful day it is outside. Uh, in fact, uh, the spring was uh, a little longer this year. So if I were to go out um, for a walk, uh, the weather is fantastic. Um, there, were there were times many years ago they used to count uh, the number of sunshine days in a year. And there used to be only about 50 sunshine days a year. Uh, in fact, now it's just the opposite. Every day is a sunshine day. Every day is a beautiful day. Uh, and the days when pollution sort of builds up uh, has been reduced to less than 50. Uh, not more, not less uh, than uh, any of the other major cities in the world. Um, and also... Uh, sometimes uh, we do not get uh, a, 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 an accurate sense of the, uh, the progress that this country is making uh, in the context of global development. I think that some of us are used to, um, you know, Western media, uh, you know, belittling uh, just about everything that China does. Uh, it is not a country without problems. Uh, it has issues. Uh, and as someone who comes from a more liberal environment uh, and, and who sees uh, all of the developments taking place uh, in anywhere around the world, uh, there are issues that you can immediately identify that are unique to China and that might build up uh, into global issues uh, in the future. But at the same time, it's a country that is hard at work uh, at transforming itself from within. Um, and I think that a lot of the infrastructure that this country is building for itself uh, is something that all of us uh, would wish for our own countries, that if we only had 20% or 50% of the civil structures, uh, the digital uh, bandwidth uh, and the social um, you know, freedom uh, that people have uh, to, uh, to, you know, to be economically active, uh, and to raise families and so on, um, you know, uh, we that already is, you know, is a major uh, reason uh, to understand 
uh, what uh, China is going through right now. <clears throat> At the same time, um, I'm also spending a lot of time and I would like to draw your attention uh, to a book that I will be publishing very shortly uh, called The Great Transition. Um, and uh, just in the, exactly in the way that we try to make sense of the China phenomenon uh, that is relevant to each of our lives, you know, it's one thing to talk about geopolitics and the US-China relationships and so on. Uh, that's entertainment, you know, that's something that doesn't touch us individually. Uh, or if it does, it touches us from an economic point of view, but all we have is an opinion. We, we, we are not able to, you know, to influence or be influenced by, by uh, issues at that level. Uh, but there is a level at which it does touch us. There are many things that China has achieved in a very short time that many of us would wish for the countries that we come from. Uh, and so there's a lot to learn from that. So in the same way, uh, the book that I'm writing is the great transition from um, the platform economy uh, to personalization. Um, as we put in context um, everything that is happening around us today, uh, even as we celebrate yet another year of excellence in retail financial services, it is not a normal year for many reasons. There is China, there is the COVID uh, experience, and then there is the US capital markets, and then there is the, um, the, the, the rise of cryptocurrencies. Uh, and what should that mean to us? Uh, and, and all of the new technologies that it is creating um, in, its, uh, in its wake. Um, so the great transition is about yet another dimension that is being uh, built into human societies that all of us, uh, especially in retail financial services, uh, should take note of. Uh, the industry that we are part of is no longer going to be the same. The way in which we measure our performance in the industry and our interaction with uh, customers, uh, the way in which our balance sheets are configured, um, and the, the strategic um, dimension of the business models that we need to build, uh, all of that is going back to the drawing board. Even as we assess all of the retail financial institutions, uh, as you are, as traditional businesses with, with a license in your respective countries, uh, we also want to take note of the new dimensions that are creating uh, competition for you and will be transforming you uh, in the near future. So one of the things that I'll be looking forward uh, to the uh, presentation, the research presentation that we put together every year as part of this annual Excellence in Retail Financial Services meeting um, is to understand uh, what are the new dimensions that are shaping the competitive landscape in your respective countries. It used to be a simple thing like a, a website uh, or a platform uh, set up by non-bank player that would, uh, that would be able to capture deposits uh, much better than, than a traditional bank can. So that was in the platform era. Now, what's that going to look like in the personalization era? You know, the interesting thing about the price of Bitcoin going up to 60,000 and then falling to 30,000 it's not the outrage that it costs. The, uh, the real dimension that we need to come to terms with is the fact that each of us can create a Bitcoin of our own. Uh, each of your customers can create a token of their own. Each community in your customer pool can create a, a token from which technology can be built and even funded uh, in, into the future. So everything that we imagine to be in the realm of application pro program interface, APIs uh, and, and blockchain, um, that, that the way in which financial institutions have been uh, configuring them uh, is going to be thrown out of the window because more power is going to be handed uh, down the line to the end customer. And the way in which uh, financial institutions will need to be configured to reach that customer will be changing, will be transforming in a revolutionary way. Um, some of that transformation has already started happening. Uh, they look a little amateurish. Uh, they look a little bit uh, uh, like a crack in the wall, but that crack is going to shake the very foundations 
of the financial services industry. So, for example, we had uh, the GameStop, uh, uh, um, you know, phenomenon in the U.S., where uh, retail consumers were able to push back uh, institutional investors. Uh, that is the kind of power that we are looking at. Uh, that we will have to come to terms with uh, in a very, very short time. Uh, maybe in the next year, maybe in the next two or three years. I want to get a sense from you how you are dealing with the transformations underway in your respective marketplace, what you see, uh, the dimensions that you're being confronted with, and what you think your responses should be. Okay, so let's make this uh, session uh, a valuable session where we can hear from each other um, what we need to understand uh, in terms of the transformation that is underway. Thank you, great. Thank you, Edi, for uh, outlining some of the dimensions that we'll be discussing in greater detail in a moment. Uh, before we get to that exciting conversation, uh, let me introduce the chairman of the Excellence Program, uh, Mr. Philip Myers, uh, to say uh, a few words as well. Okay, so ladies and gentlemen and fellow bankers, I hope you are keeping well and safe. This is the second year we are coming together virtually under the cloud of COVID-19 pandemic. It has been an unprecedented time in our lives. However, as Edith just said, I believe that we have to face some of our biggest challenges yet. I also believe that on the whole, we have emerged better and stronger. So I am Philippe Payard, Chairman of the Excellence in Retail Financial Services Program and I have the pleasure to welcome you to the 2021 Heads of Retail Finance Virtual Hour and Excellence Award Ceremony. This year marks the 20th anniversary of the Excellence Program. Indeed, for the last 20 years, the Asian banker has been the industry defining body in recognizing every year players that demonstrate exceptional excellence in retail financial services in Asia Pacific, the Middle East and Africa. It is arguably the most rigorous, transparent and prestigious award program for consumer financial services in the world. This year, despite the pandemic, we have received 490 submissions from more than 280 banks and retail financial services players in more than 25 markets across Asia, the Middle East and Africa. We continue to make every effort, effort to ensure that our excellence program remains the most rigorous, comprehensive and transparent program for consumer financial services in the world. We continue fine-tuning our scorecards. We continue streamlining our focus on your financial performance, your digital journey, your customer experience and engagement. We continue widening our program to include alternative service providers to reflect the rapid transformation of our industry. We also continue to invest in our digital consumer feedback channel, bank quality to incorporate the customer net promoter scores in our evaluations. This year, the bank quality survey on retail banks involved more than 11,000 customers in 11 markets across the regions. Award winners can be assured that our selection is also a true reflection of the voice of the customers in your respective markets. In the process of our research, we have captured significant shifts in consumer adoption of digital and contactless transactions, as well as in e-commerce and e-payments. We can also attest of the resiliency and the agility of the industry to respond to changes in customers' behavior and operating environment. The last period, was marked by a tremendous pace of change. The pandemic has been both a catalyst and an accelerator in the revolution, the way we live, but also the way we work. You and the consumers 
have responded remarkably well to the social changes and the working arrangements, you have also demonstrated exceptional operational resilience and agility to provide almost uninterrupted safe and secure access and services coming up with innovative remote modes of, modes of access to complement existing physical ones, whilst fighting the escalation of cyber risk and fraud. You all have accelerated your transformation and responded well to your respective gov government's efforts to bring financial assistance and reliefs to individuals as well as small and medium-sized enterprises. You have also leveraged open API and banking technology and industry partnerships to build ecosystem platforms to connect businesses with customers. You have also understood the new demand of consumers and governments who want you to operate on a more sustainable basis to take into consideration environmental, social, and governance factors in not just the way you do business, but also with whom you do business. It's such an evolving landscape. We at the Asian Banker will continue to track, evaluate, and calibrate your journey to transform yourselves into even more competitive and sustainable digital players. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Philip. And now we will start the gate of retail finance dialogue. Uh, we are very pleased to have uh, with us the uh, leaders from the financial uh, services industry who have been charting the course of the industry up until now and who will continue to break new grounds. And uh, every year we use this, uh, this very important session to put down the markers, the, the stake in the ground in terms of what are the important issues that confront the industry that will transform and drive your agenda going forward. So we are becoming a few areas and I'd like to have a healthy discussion with you, um, in particular in areas of payments transformation. Uh, payment, as we mentioned earlier on, has been commoditized. Uh, so what's your uh, reimagination in this aspect? And also during the pandemic, there has been a lot of demand of information because the pandemic has caused disruption in the market. Uh, investors, especially uh, wealth management customers, are concerned about impact. And with the rise of capital markets and emergence of new assets, as we mentioned about cryptocurrency and digital assets, so how are we bringing this to the ordinary retail customers. And given that the pandemic has put a spotlight on the need for digitization, uh, transformation, uh, we are moving from the first year of pandemic into the second year. Because the first response by most banks has been how to address the needs of our customers, how to comply with the requirements of the government to assist uh, our the bank customers and to assist the uh, community at large. Uh, going to the second year, what will it be different? What have been done? Because the pandemic, as we mentioned, has acted as a catalyst to drive digitization, uh, moving banks towards closer to the intelligent bank. So these are issues that we would like to discuss with the panel and their thoughts and their institutions uh, initiatives and reimagination. What kind of strategies, how they're going to implement uh, and navigate the uh, landscape in the execution of these new strategies. Now, there is a lot of uh, action on the digital front. So I would like to call on uh, Mr. Herman Cheng, Head of Digital Banking uh, from Hang Seng Bank. Uh, it's an interesting market. You have seen the entry of uh, digital-only banks. Uh, but the area that we are interested to speak to you about is you know, perhaps the area that have seen the greatest uh, impact from COVID, which is uh, the payments area. 
right? Uh, now, how payments in itself has been you know, commoditized, uh, but at the same time, uh, COVID has moved everything to digital. Uh, there has been an uptake in e-commerce and there is an integration between e-commerce and payments. Uh, how are you rethinking the payment business at, you know, uh, amid COVID? And uh, how would that you know, uh, shape the future uh, of Hansing Bank? Uh, I think everywhere is seeing sort of the, the same trend uh, as we have seen in Hong Kong, uh, which is that um, uh, we, are, we, we saw a lot more uh, people going online uh, um, during last year, uh, whether it's is e-commerce or any other kind of service, because uh, we essentially, a lot of the places were locked down or closed down, right? Um, so we are seeing uh, customers' behavior moving on to the digital platform, uh, regardless of the uh, of the uh, of the industries. Uh, for us, uh, we we definitely saw an uptick on people uh, on their payment side. They are they are using uh, online services a lot more. Uh, but more more interestingly, uh, for us is uh, we are actually seeing. Uh, a big uptick in people using um, transfers or, or um, you know, just uh, using uh, a payment for their banking services to, to transfer money to friends, to businesses, etc. So because of the, uh, the, the situation in Hong Kong, um, I think uh, we, we saw our uh, number of people that are using this service and also the, the frequency of them using these services have actually quite uh, a sizable increase uh, yeah. over yeah. last year. So, this, this are very transactional in nature, right? And uh, but how do you make a uh, uh, kind of uh, profitable business out of it? You know, considering how payments is. Um, you know, uh, with competition and with third-party aggregator or, you know, gateways, uh, there's really very little money to be made in payments today. That's a big uh, question in terms of how we how we would make money off that for our Hang Seng Bank customers is that you need to continue to give them good service on our transactional banking. You need to really enable the customers to be able to actually do a lot of their day-to-day -day banking needs first which is why we focus a lot of our effort into putting better experience and building uh, products that enable people to do, uh, whether it's transfer bills, uh, bill payment, or whether they, they can uh, transact with their credit card more easily, look at their transaction more easily, uh, et cetera, so that people are actually sticking to your platform. Once they're sticking to your platform, you have more touch points with them. Um, that's when we are actually uh, producing um, information that trigger needs uh, mm. for whether it's for investment, whether it's for uh, um, other types of uh, products that we offer. Mm. So Excellent. I think it's in that general context that we are, we are actually engaging our customer and seeing Great, it. Yeah. Well, but given, given the volume of uh, information, given the volume of transactions, that's flow through, uh, accelerated by perhaps uh, the pandemic. Uh, how do you use the data? Have you used it in a different way as you used previously? Uh, uh, leveraging on, on new technology to, to uh, leverage on the data. I think it's a continuation of what our strategy has been, which is uh, leveraging all the transactional data that we have. So. The way that we're using it, I think it's no different from uh, everybody else, which is you're trying to use the data to understand customer behavior, uh, what their preferences are, what are they actually doing. What we are actually doing a little bit more than just looking at the, transaction, the transactional data is we're using obviously uh, AI engines um, to analyze and to predict. So we are we're doing more prediction uh, in terms of building the you know building models um, to try to guess what our customers are going to be doing based on their behavior or based on their demographics as well. Um, so uh, I think a lot of that is is still on learning. You know we're, we're learning on a daily basis, uh, but we're building newer and newer models that are predicting more and more things for us, and and then we obviously use these. Uh, 
information to trigger the, the relevant messages for our customers. So, but still we need to, we need the engagement because we need to engage our customer first before we can actually pass on these messages to them. So the, the two kind of go hand in hand. So uh, monetizing data, using data to create more business, maybe more profitable business. I, I want to kind of, uh, a, a different angle at, uh, at uh, rethinking the, the payment business. Uh, I'd like to ask uh, Ms. Joyce Gonzalez of Union Bank to give us her perspective on how to rethinking the payment business. Even though human communication and interaction cannot be replaced, customers now expect to interact via digital channels. By making all channels digital, processes and procedures of conducting Know Your Customers can be completed online. Okay. Um, the aim is to become more digital. So prior to the pandemic, customers wouldn't think twice about handling um, ca uh, cashier a credit card or signing with a store spin or swiping a debit card. But now it's different. Uh, you can just wave, uh, wave your credit card um, over the payment terminal. So uh, with a pronounced shift of customer behavior towards digital, which we believe will stay for the long haul. Union Bank is going full throttle in its transformation journey. So it is also imperative for us to continue our explorations and experimentations as we keep a close watch on the long-term uh, long evolution of the banking industry. And uh, here we have a non-bank provider uh, in the payment and transfers area. I'd like to call Mr. Wingsteve Bank, Bankit, uh, the CEO of GCash, to maybe give us a perspective of the payment business, uh, how you are creating a, a new business model, and uh, why you compete. Well, actually, in that in that space, um, uh, it, definitely we want to be differentiated and provide really good experience when it comes to. Uh, the payment ecosystem. That's why we work closely with providing experiences for customers and solutions for businesses. But what's good about it here is that we view the market, not as competition, but we partner with um, a lot of uh, industry aggregators, even banks. So definitely the model that we're looking into is a partnership when it comes to growth, assisting both uh, the ecosystems, the merchants, and even our partners, maybe banks or other aggregators. Um, and what we've seen here in the Philippines is that uh, we were able to support, especially during the pandemic, not just the traditional merchants who are migrating from, from traditional to online payment solutions, but we were able to open up to a bigger ecosystem of um, uh, developing uh, entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. uh, we call them informal online sellers. Uh, who've opened up to these new technologies, uh, especially in the payment space. And definitely the growth is coming from both our own uh, ecosystem push and with partnerships. I'd like to call on uh, maybe one of the emerging markets or frontier markets, uh, Mr. Raymond Sia, uh, Canadian Bank, to give us the, uh, your perspective on what the key priorities of dimension that is transforming your bank. I think for us here in uh, Cambodia, we want to actually keep uh, the customer at the center of what we do. So essentially, you know, we're looking at uh, customers' needs. And uh, as an emerging market, I think, uh, you know, the pace of uh, growth here in Cambodia is certainly uh, catching up with a lot of uh, other countries uh, in the region. And um, if you look at the uh, payments itself, I think this is a very important, uh, I would say, gateway uh, for us to actually reach our customers. And we are also exploring, you know, partnerships with uh, selected um, um, payment gateway uh, owners as well as vendors in terms of how we can actually accelerate that, uh, that particular growth to our customers. I think uh, the regulators are also doing a very good job in actually bringing together um, and, and getting all banks uh, using some form of moral suasion to actually keep uh, a single platform uh, eventually in the long run. Okay. The past banks... Uh, uh were able to gain competitive advantage because of through the footprint extension of the footprints as well as uh, pricing in the area of management. However, today 
given the advancement in digital technology and analytics, uh, leading banks differentiate by leveraging on data, uh, using artificial intelligence, applied analytics, and the power of cloud computing to innovate and deliver personalized engagement in real time in the area of wealth management. So, uh, and in this particular area, uh, the competition is some are making good inroads, some are still uh, falling behind. Uh, and we want uh, the views of uh, some of our panels on, on this subject. Uh, at the same time, also we would like to have your views about the rise of uh, the changes in the capital markets, the emergence of new asset classes such as <laughs> cryptocurrency, and how we are making it simple for retail investors to participate without getting themselves in trouble. We have this uh, Rani from Maybank. When we speak about wealth management, um, I would like to rephrase it. Lah. I would like to call it uh, wealth democratization. And the reason why I say this is because there are naturally two segments of customers, right? You've got the ones with a bit of money, they're a bit more affluent, they're able to save. And you've got the ones, whether we like it or not, who are struggling, right? And in this COVID situation, you find a lot of that um, happening within the, um, the various countries. So when it comes to those who are a little bit more the mass affluent and above, I think what we have done in Maybank is that uh, we have digitized the whole um, experience. So for example, in November last year, we have allowed the customers to go in and to create um, goals for themselves, right? And it could be depending on the age group. So it could be um, anything from saving up for your kid. It could be if you're older, it's probably you're thinking a little bit about retirement. If you're younger, you're thinking about uh, wanting to increase wealth. And what we have done is um, we have allowed them to create these goals, but we have also allowed them um, parameters which they can change to see the kind of outcomes they can get. And with those outcomes, we also recommend to them the kind of asset classes they should be investing in, right? And these are things we have done during the current COVID situation because, number one, that's the right path anyway to move in, but also because it really democratizes wealth, right? Um, I, um, I mean, there is a handful of, of customers who have always got an RM, have got a client advisor attached to them, but they've got a huge pool of customers who may not have that sort of privilege. And yet we are able to now reach out and we're able to give advice a little bit more um, um, uh, machine, uh, machine learning led. So it's um, a little bit more neutral, right? So that's what we have done for the affluent customers or rather the, uh, and even those emerging affluent customers. Then you've got a whole pool of customers, whether you like it or not, they struggle and we need to help them in some way or other. So this is why I like to use the, the term democratizing wealth. How do you help them um, analyze their spending? How do you even help them save a little bit better? Right, because whether you like it or not, there are those who can't even save 500 ringgit, even a thousand ringgit um, for a rainy day. So this is where the new May app that Maybank has created allows a customer to look at your spending, whether it's online shopping or whether it's on your groceries. It allows you to, to, to get real-time information, yes. especially these days with COVID. We've all gone a bit crazy with our online shopping um, experiences, right? This then helps the, 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 the mass customers who struggle to start saving up. So, so that's the way we, we look at um, um, in helping customers manage wealth. Wanted to get your thoughts also on you know, new asset classes. Are banks and financial institutions in the India due to the rise of cryptocurrency? Perhaps uh, we can uh, get uh, uh, Tassicon Bank, perhaps. Kun Super Niwan. Yeah, in terms of the cryptocurrency in Thailand, I think currently we are having the exchange platform. And in terms of the bank, we also um, you know, like collaborate like uh, as a partnership with them as well in terms of be able to put like the money to kind of like exchange in that cryptocurrency. But when um, for Thai people, when you're talking about like wealth, um, investing in cryptocurrency, what they actually asking like, after they invest, how they can use that cryptocurrency 
to pay for the stuff in Thailand. So I think that will be the, the linkage between the crypto um, currency to the payments that we are in the process of kind um, you know, talking in, in terms of the regulations and also in terms of the all the way how, how to make it works because um, to make cryptocurrency to be a whole loop that it makes sense to the customers. It's like, it needs to be the investment and then it has to be, you know, to value for the, for the payments at the end of the day as well. Um, in terms of the K banks, um, which is like with our like KBTG, which is our um, IT company, uh, we also have a collaborations to kind of building the platform to do the digital like token offerings um, via the blockchain as well. So that will, that will be the, the the other like area that we are trying to to get into. So you're building bridges to digital currencies or digital exchange where yep. your customer can uh, buy and trade off those exchanges, and uh, yep. you, you provide the ability for them to convert them back into fiat, into baht. And, and also uh, in the future, perhaps uh, uh, have the ability to offer security tokens as well. Um, but I have just one question. With, uh, you know, uh, how do you know that you are really making investment in crypto versus speculation? How do you guide your customers to, to make uh, the decision here? Are you facilitating speculation or Actually, how you guide your customers, and you know they come to you. You know they are speculating. How do you make sure that you guide them to make sure that they are suitable for such? We have some of the customer that they would like to do some of the investment, but they don't know how to do it. We do have the customer who actually wants to invest and they know how to invest, but they don't have risk appetites to to get to some of the assets. And the highest tier that they kind of like, um, they know what they do. Um, they want um, high risk, high return. But some of them, they are kind of like going into the market with which they don't really know. So when we are talking to our customers, basically we have to divide our customer into each of the segments. And we have to kind of remind them a lot about the, um, the risk of each of the assets that they were involved in. So I think it, that will be a huge like education um, platform in Thailand currently to to make the whole like a wealth management system to be more democratized to the lower tier and also uh, educate them for the all those like um, like high and um, high risk of assets that we are talking about. Yeah. The, the, the question to uh, Jackie uh, on the wealth management and on uh, crypto. How has wealth management transformed uh, in the light of new technology um, using data so that you could proactively help your uh, customers, whether you're high end customers or the low end customers, and how you are also helping the democratization uh, for retail investors uh, to uh, uplift the game in uh, investing in more aggressive assets than the traditional. Mutual funds. With regards to the uh, wealth management space, uh, I think um, uh, how how at UOB how we look at it, uh, two two portions. One in terms of our risk first advisory approach to ensure that uh, when we review the customers. Uh, uh, financial needs goals uh, to at least have a core basic strategy of building core before tactical, which is really protecting, safeguarding their assets, protecting their loved one before they build passive income uh, and, and before taking market opportunities. Now, I think uh, um, uh, consumers throughout this, I think one and a half years, I think aside from their expectations uh, as well as, as what's on top of mind has pivoted uh, quite a bit. Uh, on top of that, also accelerated a lot of the adoption when it came to digital capabilities. Uh, we saw a surge of customers um, searching to review their wealth portfolio, uh, their insurance coverage, uh, and from the adoption of channels and engagement with banks as a whole, uh, we have also done uh, a survey, understanding consumers' engagement preference, especially when it came to wealth management needs as well. Uh, what we do see, uh, aside from the search of uh, reviewing their portfolio, their, their insurance coverage, in terms of engagement channel, more than two in three um, customers have also uh, expressed their continued uh, uh, value in having an advisor-based 
um, conversation. And hence, uh, our, our strategy on an omni-channel strategy, that means both in the digital capabilities as well as enable uh, advisor non-face-to-face -face engagement to help our clients review their portfolio. And through the, the pandemic in the last one and a half years, what we have also seen is always that last mile capabilities that needed to be built. Uh, and as such, uh, I think where we were quite pleased uh, was the ability to engage a customer on their wealth conversation. And we saw that one third of our customers, even till today, uh, still engage us uh, digitally, uh, non-face-to-face -face for their wealth management needs, um, uh, even in quarter one this year. So for us, aside from our risk-first advisory approach, understanding the customer's preference through the pandemic, how their priorities have changed, the ability to engage them both digitally as well as advisor-based, uh, uh, using um, uh, digital advice, uh, advisory tools, I think that has enabled uh, the entire landscape uh, for us altogether. Can you can you elaborate a little bit more on the subject of how you use big data and uh, machine learning to hyper personalize your advice to your customers? Sure. So um, at UOB, uh, we have um, leveraged quite a bit of advanced uh, data um, uh, capabilities, both uh, AI as well as machine learning. Uh, in fact, we have productionalized uh, more than 50 models across our four business lines, uh, deposit management, uh, uh, deposit wealth management, um, secured lending, or even unsecured lending. And the models range. And in fact, actually, we have been on this journey for the past, uh, I think, three years. And we've been testing and learning, testing and learning uh, through the productionalized model. They range across whether it's uh, uh, product recommenders, whether it's from your deposit products or even your cards products, wealth profiler recommenders, uh, as well as uh, even a merchant recommender or even uh, a network uh, analysis. How we push out a lot of this um, uh, uh, data um, uh, insights uh, through our RM tools or even through our mobile banking app, which is what we call Mighty. So like, for example, it can be that same all-in-one mobile banking app, but that mobile banking app is different for everyone because the dashboard that you would see is hyper-personalized based on your past transactional behavior. Uh, and that dashboard will be different for everyone based on the data that we understand for you uh, and how we have profiled you from the, the, the recommended perspectives. Uh, the other thing that uh, the ability that we have is not only on the data, but also from the technology point of view, uh, where we also use uh, cognitive, uh, 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 the cognitive engine to also understand how your digital footprint and how your response rate has been to be able to serve you uh, better on the next round uh, when you engage with us, either through your mobile phone or through your uh, relationship manager. So um, it's a combination of a few things coming together, uh, I think, um, uh, using data as well as technology to be able to customize, hyper-personalize uh, contextual offer to the customer and also to be able to learn from the way they interact with you to better serve up the next best insight uh, to them, uh, whether they touch us through our branches, through our RMs, or whether they come to our mobile banking platform, uh, which is UOB Mighty. Great. Thank you, Thank you. Jacqueline. We'll move to the next area of uh, attention or concern uh, in terms of a dimension that will impact the future of the industry and your institution uh, specifically. Now, we are into the second year of the pandemic. How, how is it different from, you know, from year one? And we hear that you know, the, the pandemic or COVID-19 is not transient or not transitionally, it, it's going to be an endemic, it's going to stay with us, right? So it's going to transform uh, for good. Uh, what kind of impact is it having so far and how are you responding to it? Now, what are the dimensions that, uh, that you are monitoring, keeping a close eye on that will, that you think that will make an impact on the industry? Uh, now we are we are seeing a lot of uh, movement in the digital uh, currency electronic payments area. You know, with cycle bank digital currency, will that transform the very nature of the industry? We were asked uh, from uh, Access Bank, Mr. Ravi Narayana. On COVID, yes, the distinct difference between uh, last year and this year. Uh, has been in the virulency of the uh, and the mutation of the virus. What it has done is that it has put a sense of fear in a lot of people as compared to last year. Last year, it was an unknown entity. Uh, this year, there is too much of information available. And that information has started playing on the people's psyche. This, I say it from, let us say, on behalf of the customers, 
or on behalf of all of us as staff in various banking, non-banking fraternities. But I think what is more important is the underlying economic status and situation of various segments. I think let's look at it. Manufacturing. I think manufacturing has been the most impacted. Uh, and if you add certain elements of, let us say, chips, which are the underlying essence and critical component of anything that we use today in these times, I think it only kind of amplifies the situation the COVID has put on manufacturing segment. Second is in terms of the mobility parameter because of the various restrictions that have been put in. I think the mobility parameter has also ensured that trading as an activity has come to virtually a standstill. Every time there has been an impact on the restrictions or lockdowns or curfews, etc., that have been put across the Asian territory. The third, but the positive side, is I think the entire segment of healthcare, whether it be the pharmaceutical manufacturing, whether it be the delivery of healthcare, uh, or whether it be export-related elements related to healthcare. I think that's one segment which I think around the world has been seeing a positive uplift in terms of the fact that that is the only segment which is coming to the health of all the affected uh, economic strata. Uh, this is going to become a way of life. Vaccination, as it gets rolled out across all our geographies, I think over the next one year, there will be multiple waves of both COVID and economic slowdown, which will happen. And I think the way we should look at it is to be very calibrated in the roadmap that we take, be very cognizant of the fact that there will be stop start kind of situation over the next 12 to 15 months, and that it will be very necessary that all of us are well prepared. What it does do is that it puts the lower segment of the economic strata at lot of peril and lot of pain. And I think that's where the problem starts because these are the people who help grease the economy in various ways, whether they be workers in manufacturing or whether they be daily wage workers providing trading facilitations. It's a social economic issue that we are facing and COVID wave 2.0 has only exacerbated and, and kind of amplified the situation that we are in. All the governments as well as the private sector corporates are doing their best. For us in the banking industry, we have to be cognizant of whether we are able to take care of the money which is in our custody because ultimately we are trustees and custodians of people's and public wealth at large and i think that's what we have to stay focused on i think these are some of the underlying structural thoughts and changes that have come in over the last 15 months are you also pivoting more mm -hmm. towards the well business looking at uh, how you better uh, manage and uh, guide them? yes Yes. And, and what Thank are you. the areas that are you focusing on? You know, obviously, you know, during this discussion, we mentioned this whole area of new asset classes. Um, is that a, an area that you're looking at as well? I mean, obviously, it's for the higher, you know, the, the more qualified investors, not for every investor. I will agree with uh, Ms. Kalyani when she talked about democratization of uh, wealth. I think it's very critical to understand that affluence is an evolutionary item. Uh, it continues to emerge. It's very important to understand that affluence is uh, described differently in different parts of the world. But what is more important for me as an institution is to see whether I can protect uh, the money of the people that we deal with, which means that I have to ensure that I am also advising them, not as an advisory, but as part of my fiduciary responsibility to see that they take care of their money also in equal measure. And therefore, if you were to refer to the emerging new 
you know financial assets like you know uh, crypto and other stuff i think we have to be very careful because we have to understand and calibrate whether there is a regulatory umbrella which is available both in terms of the regulator of the country or any self regulatory mechanisms that are available for any of these exchanges and so on and so forth i think these are all emerging items one of the points which was discussed earlier in the uh, discussions was about investment versus speculation it's a very fine and thin line uh, you will never know when an investment becomes speculation and and for that we need the cover of regulation we need cover of self regulation and we need very crystal clear definition of what is exactly investment and what tends to flow into speculation i think today i will suffice to say that um, it is an emerging area for wealth management mm -hmm. but i think there is much more that we can do in the traditional wealth management before we start focusing on crypto and other digital assets i think it's very important for us to understand that can i create mechanisms and use the emerging technology the computing speed the data bandwidth etc to ensure that usage of artificial intelligence data lakes as well as machine learning is able to help the current set of wealth customers utilize and get the best deal out of their wealth and protect it also you you have this whole world of uh, defi right so uh, they are providing uh, competition or access to customer who wants it now uh, the question of customer relevance right customer who wants it and want to have access to it um, if you're not providing it you'll go somewhere else how do you weigh that customer relevance um, I i'll ask this question maybe to uh, uh, jiresh of uh, icici bank a few things that have really been a blessing in disguise specifically for a wealth or an affluent set of clients in the pandemic uh, uh, during pandemic is clearly one thing these these clients are digitally far more evolved and hence the adoption on the digital platforms have increased far far higher uh, we realize that anything and everything has to be available digitally all products all processes we came up with something called icici stack where as stands for start relationship instantly t stands for transacting uh digitally a stands for availing instant loans c stands for care and k stands for knowledge protection is becoming far far more critical in the present scheme of things and k uh, being the knowledge stack where we are trying to reach out to clients and give them impart them knowledge about retirement planning about financial literacy about goal based learning about asset allocation which people normally are not very much aware of uh uh when when we engage with them if you speak about the relevance um of clients i think clearly uh, uh the affluent set of clients or or the clients which are at the higher end of the spectrum typically uh, we have made it a point that we reach out to all of them we increase the frequency of engagement the 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 dealings become far more with empathy with emotional connect i think the 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 engagement has has been of the highest order the quality of engagement has to be very very precise and very very good we have tried to reach out to all set of our clients as much as possible and provide them oh, our uh, entire stack uh, of products process don't get a chance for everyone to be able to to share their thoughts on this area of wealth and new assets and uh, covid-19 so so i'm just going to go around and uh, pick your name and that out uh, get you to share your comments uh techcom bank uh um uh, mr dang uh, do you have uh, any comments where in our opinion is the uh, uh i think is we are try to build the more prior uh, prior solution with diversified investment product to meet of uh, its uh, specific need hmm. and uh, with different uh, risk appetite and investment expectation from customer i think it's the rising of the crypto and currency it digital asset it be this fast 
this fine it create more opportunity to provide exciting new product to our to our customer and uh, but uh, however it this uh, are bring a lot of problem regarding the regulation and security so we think to we will not to be that and we will take a more prudent step to implement them with the fight why make sure that follow the strict in the our Vietnamese and the Vietnamese law and need to and set up to be with more some regulation for the mapping about it and the second point I want to back to the regarding the, the payment side payment transformation and I want to have some idea about it I think it's the current contact the transformation is really happening that transform from very traditional mode to to the so-called digital mode. And so it's the emerging change product with a very high influence with the way to set up and run our business in, in the future. We have our key learnings presentation and uh, our advisor, uh, Richard Hathom, has been kind of waiting for, for a while to uh, give his presentation and so, summarizes a lot of the discussion that we're having uh, today. But there are some interesting trends uh, that we're seeing uh, within banking. One is in terms of what uh, we're seeing in terms of awards and what people are applying for, that shows how the uh, banks are changing what they're doing, the financial institutions. Ecosystem open banking is something that is new and we're seeing more of that. When we look at which banks are doing relatively well, uh, these are the top 10 retail banks this year in Asia Pacific. And I, I wanna highlight a couple of things. One is that you'll see a number of the banks are in Northeast Asia. So China in particular has been leading and they've used a lot of AI, they've used machine learning um, in their products. But what we're also seeing is a few surprises in here. So you know this uh, Commonwealth Bank in Australia, CBA, uh, has a wonderful mobile app, very popular. They've moved towards digitization. Their X15 uh, venture office is bringing in new people. Uh, ING Direct as well in Australia and then Union Bank in the Philippines focusing very much on the customer experience. So what we've seen is the ecosystems building and banks building platform-based models. So they're selling uh, automobiles, they've got food apps that are in there, they're helping people with housing and building that broader ecosystem. The pandemic has increased digital sales as we've heard in the last few minutes. However, that has not compensated for the revenue loss. Risk has increased uh, for incumbents and the neobanks uh, amidst the pandemic. Financial education, we've heard about from several banks that are focusing on that, both for the uh, broader base of customers as well as for uh, wealth management, focusing on savings at the bottom end and some uh, wealth products at the upper end. There's a rise in small ticket lending uh, in, in several ways. One is with payments, the buy now, pay later, BNPL services at the counter have gone out are being much, used much, much more, especially by people in their 20s started in Australia and is spread throughout South and Southeast Asia. And although millennials don't think it's lending, it is lending. QR payments are going cross-border. So prompt pay and pay now are allowing cross-border payments. And we expect that to increase within ASEAN uh, for, for QR payments. Blockchain is becoming commercially viable, especially in China, moving out elsewhere as well. And depending on the regulations, more banks are moving to cloud. The bank quality survey was mentioned earlier, and we're seeing much more of a focus on that quality of experience and more support for customers, especially during the pandemic. And the cloud-based infrastructure has allowed many banks to do that. We've seen it across the board from Northeast Asia with uh, Taiwan, Philippines with Union Bank and Security Bank, so really across the board. The top 10 digital banks uh, are in, in Northeast Asia, but also Australia um, and Singapore as well. Several things stand out on that. Uh, over 45% of sales are digital at many of these banks. Customers are coming in for the ecosystem. So they're being referred from uh, property brokers or, uh, or, um, or automobile sales, very different than the past. And cloud is being used for that. For mobile banking, you'll see some shifts from before the Active mobile users are 80 to 90% of uh, total users at the leading banks. 
Whereas you used to see four or five logins per month, you're now seeing an average of at least 13. Mobile deposit collections have also risen where people are sending money into their account from their mobile phone for time deposits. SME is a much greater focus than in the past. Uh, over the past year or so, there's been much support for SMEs to ensure their survivability. Process flows internally have digitized to make the, it more efficient. Marketplaces are available at the banks as well. So banks are able to offer legal services, insurance services, products, accounting, uh, any number of services through their marketplace with full end-to-end -end digital onboarding as well. Mass affluent for the broader market uh, is a key priority. And you'll see why, because the average contribution to total bank revenue is between 10 and 20% of total bank revenue coming from wealth management. Uh, mutual fund sales are increasing digitally and the net promoter score at the top banks is relatively high because of some of the engagement that we uh, just heard about. If we look at some of the banks that we especially like around the region that have leading products, um, Pingon Bank in China has done especially well with open banking and APIs. As you'll see, they've got more than 1,300 uh, APIs available. Kept in Krungzuri Bank, which we heard from earlier, is providing a practical tool to customers to help them save more, and CTBC in Taiwan using Line to increase digital engagement. As we go forward, several areas are especially important. One is personalization. We heard about that from UOB, for example, that every dashboard is different for each customer. They're using predictive analytical tools. If you don't have that, you're gonna be left behind, not just in the developed markets like a Singapore or Hong Kong, but in the developing markets as well. It's being powered by technology, 5G, internet of things, and bringing those technologies together with data to disrupt the markets. Those platforms that we talked about are growing as well, where banks offer a full suite of financial services. So what retail players need to look at going forward is amidst the continued disruption, they need to rethink their payment strategy because that's often the lead product for the financial institutions and they can bring the customers into other products through that. There are new asset classes that Boonping and Wilson talked about, such as crypto and digital, that are attracting in customers. And the central bank digital currencies, CBDCs, are being rolled out gradually. China leading on that and other markets following that, as well as the things like, um, like the cryptocurrencies are going to change how it's done. Big tech companies are coming in. Financial institutions need to look at whether it's Google or uh, Facebook or others uh, competing against that, uh, re those retail banking platforms or collaborating with them and figuring out how to have an effective strategy to compete against a whole new raft of players. Thank you for listening to Radio Finance. For more content, visit the Asian Banker website and follow us on social media.